0: Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, this evening we're going to be studying together Luke 22. Please open your Bibles in the chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke. And this evening, we're going to be reading together verses 24 through 30. If you're going to Find this in your Bibles and under your seats in page 882. Luke 22, 24 to 30. This is the word of God. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them has to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leaders as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you might eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the word of God, and it's absolutely true. And as we are reminded every week, it's given us to us in love and for our good. In the early uh, verses of Luke 22 we are told that Jesus and his disciples are the, in the upper room for the passover for what Jesus knows are his final hours with them prior his arrest then in verses 14 to 20 Jesus institutes what we know as the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Then in verses 21 to 23, he alerts his disciples the fact that one of them will betray him. As they discuss who this person might be, it appears that they get into this dispute, into this argument, who is the greatest among them. We can see in this passage how quickly we can get off track and how much we need a Savior in our life. The disciples, they just listened to Jesus. They just listened to his speech. And the true meaning of Passover, they again heard the fact that he was about to be turned over the Romans and he was about to be crucified. They just heard some of the biggest truth ever heard by a human person. And instead of contemplating what they just have learned, they instead focused on their status in God's kingdom. They were arguing about who will be the greatest. Here we see human pride. In contrast to the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, in one hand, we see that our Lord Jesus is about to give his lives as a ransom. And then on the other hand, we see the 12 disciples trying to compete for who is the greatest among them. We are told there was a dispute between the disciples who among them should be considered the greatest. They had this argument previously and Jesus had rebuked them in other occasions. The ordinance the disciples they just received and the circumstances and they were assembled made this dispute particularly inappropriate. And yet in this very season the last quiet time they could spend with the masters before he dies, the disciples begin this dispute over who is the greatest. J.C. Riles put it this way, such is the heart of men, ever weak, ever deceitful, ever ready, even at its best times, to turn aside to what is evil. The sin before us is this very old one. Ambition, self-esteem, and self-conceit lies deep at the bottom of all men's heart and often in the hearts where they are least suspected. I want you to take a moment to consider how this account of the disciples' argument Shows mankind's need of a savior. Also notice that our Lord Jesus Christ patiently teaches them and even gives them some encouragement bef- uh, hours before his death. Brothers and sisters, how did Jesus respond to their tribal argument? Did he get angry with them? Did he tell them off? like a frustrated parent when their children start fighting in the back seat of the car? (laughs) No. Jesus responded to their argument in a calm manner, speaking to them first about the idea of earthly greatness, then giving them the example of his behavior and greatness. followed by some promises to them, Jesus teaches them that rather than behaving like the wolves behaved, they should follow his example, his humility. And this evening, we will use three points to dive deeper into this passage. We're going to see earthly greatness, Jesus' example of greatness, and Jesus' promises. Now let's read again verse 24. A dispute also arose among them, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. During Jesus' final hours with the disciples before his arrest, they were already in the disagreement and arguing between them. Which, uh, with them. As I mentioned previously, this was not the first time the disciples have this disagreement. And the Gospels tell us that this, in fact, was an ongoing dispute. In the Gospel of Mark, there are descriptions of two uh, such arguments, one in chapter 9, which the 12 disciples argue over who is the greatest, another we can find it in chapter 10, which James and John ask to be seated in Jesus' right and left side in glory, and yet, even those This was not the first time Jesus heard them to argue over such a topic. He still responded to them with love and great patience. The disciples had spent three years with our Lord Jesus Christ traveling with him, working alongside him and learning from him. They saw him performing countless miracles and yet they still managed to focus on their own hard desires in their last few hours with Jesus. This fight was totally unfitting, especially this round of the argument in that precise moment. And let's be honest, the disciples weren't that perceptive to begin with. In the Gospels, we often see them they miss the point. They ask foolish questions and generally not comprehend the ministry that Jesus wanted to do. It was also ironic that at this moment they argue over who was the greatest because in a matter of hours, every one of them will abandon our Lord Jesus. This is not something unique, the situations with the disciples, but instead it's a pattern that can and does occur in our lives. We live in a world of great ambitions. We want more recognition. We want people to know how smart or talented we are. We're we not even happy unless we are getting affirmation that we think we deserve. We come to church, and we join in, in worship, and we hear the preaching and teaching of the Bible, and instead of focusing on God during this time, we often find our thoughts drifting before we even pull out, out of the church parking lot. Our hearts and minds can be filled with ungodly thoughts, brothers and sisters. Then. In verse 25, we read, And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. We are familiar with the role of the king. The king holds ultimate authority, and the title su- uh, suggests images of powers, images of riches, images, in other words, of greatness. The title benefactor was a self-designated title in the Greco-Roman world, used by princes and other leaders. The benefactors, in fact, bestow favors upon others around them and expect them, and demand them to show some generosity in return. The The way Jesus described the worldly leaders in Luke 22 And in the other Gospels account of this event, he used language showing the worldly leaders as using dominance and force to control others. The Lord Jesus wants his apostles to see that they cannot lead in the same way the worldly leaders lead. They cannot make the same claims of greatness as someone in the world. If you ask someone... Did you know, to name a great person, who will you think they will name? Who will be an example of greatness in today's world? Who is looked up by the media and society now? The sad thing is pretty much anyone who is rich and famous. This list, this list can include politicians, Famous musicians, actors, etc. Rikens comments on this by saying, The problem with us is that we have the wrong definition of greatness. We think that a great person is the one who gets ahead of everyone else in life, not a servant, but the master. If that is what we think, Then our whole idea of what it means to be great needs to be redefined the way that Jesus redefined it. The king of the Gentiles exercised lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leaders as the one who serves. And this leads us to our second point, Jesus' examples of greatness. Let us read together again verses 26 and 27. "But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leaders as the one who serves. For who is the greater? one who reclines at the table or one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at table, but I am among you as the one who serves. In the Gospel of John, we read John's account on the institution of the Lord's Supper in chapter 13. And it is a little more detailed than the one that we can read here in Luke 22. John describes Jesus' great art of humility and love for his disciples in taking on the position of serving and washing their feet before they enjoy a meal together. Jesus knew what he was facing over the coming hours and days. He knew that he will be betrayed. He knew that he will be arrested. He knew that he will find guilty of crimes that he did not commit. Then he will be weep, and then he will be persecuted, then he will be mocked, and finally, he will be crucified until death. And knowing all of this, he didn't rest. He didn't wait for his disciples to come and serve him, but instead, he slipped down and served his disciples and washed their feet. Jesus contrasts his own greatness to the worldly definition of and understanding of greatness. Brothers and sisters, if anyone in the history of the world should be called great, it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he instructs his disciples to serve and not to think highly of themselves like a worldly leader. J.C. Ryle stated the hero in Christ's army is not the man who has a rank and title and dignity. It is the man who looks not on his own things, but the things of other. It is the man who is kind to all, tender to all, thoughtful for all, with a hand to help all, and a heart to feel for all. It is the man who spent and is spent to make the vice and misery of the worthless, to bind up the brokenhearted, to befriend the friendless, to share the sorrowful, to enlighten the ignorant, and to raise the poor. This is truly great men in the eyes of God. The concept of our leaders serving is not too much of a stretch for us now, even today, as we are familiar with service. But what what really Jesus meant with the phrase, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. For the Jews, it was a cultural norm to show respect to those older than them. Older people were considered wiser, and had certain privileges given due to their age. There was accustomed to standing up when an elder person entered the room to show respect for this person. With this expression, Jesus is telling his disciples that they need to come to terms with not being shown these signs and traditions of respect and greatness. Brothers and sisters, Greatness is defined as service, not authority. Does a servant have the authority and greatness? No. A servant is subject to the masters, subject to the boss, and a young person is subject to his elders. This is the attitude that Jesus wants us to have took us to have when we, f- and we follow his example. The world considered the greatest to be the one who excels in everything, but Jesus taught us that the true greatness is serving rather to being served. Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to God the Father, As we read in Philippians 2 7 to 8. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, we read that he says about the importance of this in John 13, 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. If I then, you Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to watch one's another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus literally watched the feet. 12 of his 12 disciples. Imagine their smelly, they're stinky, their dusty, road-worn feet that were only covered with sandals. I will not enjoy doing that job. And when Jesus undertook this task, he already knew that Judas will betray him. And yet, he watched his feet he could have objected and say no, but he didn't. He humbled himself completely and performed his servant tasks. As a followers of Jesus, we must also be willing to, willing to follow his example, not by washing anyone's feet as a ritual, but serving others humbly and without partiality in this church we have so many opportunities to serve others. We have two neighborhood schools that we partner with, and through this partnership, we have the opportunity to serve the staff. We have the opportunity to serve the teachers. We have the opportunity to serve the uh, parents and, and, and kids. This week, we have the opportunity to serve both of these schools by providing encouragement notes to let them know that we love them, that we are praying for them. Also, there are other opportunities here at CPC to serve such as ushers, our greeters, our safety team, so many of whom work so hard behind the scenes to make sure everything works well and safely. Many of you, brothers and sisters, teach our children and youth and serve others through the uh, city groups and other uh, small groups. There are so many diaconal ministries to care for our congregation and community, and many of you already serve in this ministry, caring for others, providing meals, providing comfort for those who have experienced the loss of a loved one, and much more. Many of our church members give so selflessly of their time and their resources to serve in different ministry, following our Lord Jesus' example, not for any praise or recognition, but so that others might know the love on Christ in a real way. The Apostle Paul also taught us uh, this in his ministry, and in Philippians 2:3, he said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he wasn't looking for their praise. He wasn't looking for recognition uh, from them in any way. Instead, he used this opportunity to teach them through his example. And then... Through his word about what he had just done for them, and he follow up in John thirteen and verse twenty-four, saying, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I love you. You also are to love one another." Like. Patrick said at the beginning, today is Monday, Thursday, probably I will say it sounds like Monday, Thursday if you hear my accent, <laughs> but today is Monday, Thursday, which is the, this name is derived the, 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 the from the Latin word command or commandment, and it's referring to this command that Jesus gave his disciples.